Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, guys. What a great time. We're going to the table this morning, so we're going to hasten a little bit. Uh, communion, that is. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts 2. We are beginning part two of our series on vision as we talk about the future of Bethel and where we want to go. If you're visiting with us in front of you in the pew, you should get one of these welcome cards. And we would be more than happy if you would fill one of these guys out. And this is your way of learning about us, what we believe as a church, our doctrine, our vision, how you can be involved. And you can drop it off on the other side of that wall at our welcome desk. We'll give you a great little book by Tim Keller, who's a fantastic urban pastor in New York. And we'll give you a Muddy's gift card for our coffee shop across the street. You can take that little book and hopefully meet somebody and uh, go discuss this book, have a cup of coffee on us. But thank you so much for coming. It's a great time for you to dive into Bethel um, as I begin to experience what God's doing in my heart as the lead elder here and begin to flesh it out in the way of a vision for 2017. We're calling this two-part series, A Church for the City. We started last week. If you weren't here, go online, listen to that sermon. Um, We're calling this uh, week, A Church for the City, Part 2, which is defining our vision and mission as a church. We are a church for the city. The second segment of this vision series will begin next week, and it will last two more weeks, and we'll call it A Church in Community. Those are our twofold focuses wrapped around Bethel has plenty of amazing other things, different community groups and uh, Uh, We have a massive garage sale. We have a a powerful missions ministry, and on and on I could go. And uh, we want you to be involved with all of that. But we want to focus and really establish these two primary things. So if you're here visiting and you're like, I've been visiting churches, what makes you distinct? Well, these are going to be two distinct pillars. We are here as a church to reach our neighborhood. We are here as a church trying to reach our city. That's why we're on this corner. God has brought us here. And we are a church that's going to be in community. And when I say community, I'm talking about discipleship. I'm talking about real, raw friendship and love towards each other, growing in Jesus together. And we're going to begin to develop different ways that we're going to do that in 2017. We'll talk about that next week. But we asked the question last week, why does Bethel exist? Why are we here? Let me just ask you a question, even if you're visiting. Why even go to church? That's a question we really don't even process or wrestle with. Why even go to church? What is church for? What is it doing? Why this church over that church? And the reason it's so important to begin to define who we are as a church, our vision for our church, is because everything we do will begin to be wrapped around those pillars. It's a little bit of a, 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 of a hub of a wheel. You could look at it like that. You take a bicycle wheel and you say, okay, here are these core things right in the middle, and Everything's going to shoot off from those, those core things. And the primary core things are manifold in this church. There's about 15 core things that we believe and, and want to do in this church. But to get us back on track in this new season, I want to focus on these two. A church for the city, a church in community. A church that wants to reach out and not just be a church within these four walls. And a church that wants to help each other walk through this thing called life. Now, when we talk about being a church for the city, all you have to do is think of this building. 
What a rarity for a church to have a property like this. What a rarity. There are people in this room, if you're visiting with us, there are people in this room who have sold property and given up dreams and all kinds of other amazing things years ago to make this thing happen, this place you're sitting in. This is historic and powerful and beautiful. And when you think of the property that the church owns across the street, right here in this hotbed area, in this new kind of scene of San Francisco, right on the corner of Valencia and 24th, that alone should define who we are as a primary pillar. We are a church for the city. I would dare to say that God wants us to be a church for San Francisco just based on this property. And I'm going to tell you how many people believe in Bethel right now. And I, I don't mean to say that people have not believed in Bethel by any means, but there are so many people who are excited about this church right now. Um, pastors from Reality and Cornerstone who are praying for us, who are encouraging me every week, sending me emails and texts. We're praying for you over there, John. We're praying for you. Um, I'm not a name dropper. I'm saying this to glorify God and to get you excited. Tuesday night, Francis Chan is, is sitting on these stairs with 50, 60, 70 people, and they're praying out for power on Bethel. For, for two hours, walking through the pews that you sit and laying hands on this, this platform, this pulpit, praying for God's power to come up upon this place. Why? Because they see something. They see what God can do in this place. And before I even flesh out what it looks like to be a church for the city, you say, break that down. Give me something tangible. How do I get involved with that? Maybe you're asking why you should even be a part of this. Maybe you're a student, or maybe you're up in age, or whatever it is, or maybe you're just traveling through. You say, why should I even be a part of a church for the city? I mean, you're going to have to sell me on this a little bit. Well, I'm going to give you three quick reasons, and then we're going to dive into Acts 2. Three reasons why this should be at the core of your life, and I mean that. One, every one of us sitting in this room is desperate to live for something more. It doesn't matter what your job is or if you don't have a job or the things you've experienced. I mean, my wife and I have, have traveled through the world and we've, we've, we've accomplished so many things and yet we still have this crazy hunger in us that there's something more. And maybe you've just gone to church, you know, done the church thing and, and you've always known there's got to be something more to this. Yes, there is something more to life. And we kind of just show up on, on Sunday and come to church, and, and it's like, well, wait a minute now. What if, what if all of this is one thing? What if, what if none of it is, is opposed? What if, what if the thing that you're hungry for can be found right here in Bethel's mission? What if that's what's happening? What if we follow God together in this life-changing, life-altering mission that we'll tell stories to our children about? What if that's the thing you're hungry for? Well, if that's not enough, secondly... We have a very short time in this life, don't we? I mean, life, life is a vapor. And I don't, I don't know if when James says that, life is but a vapor. I don't know if he means it's as quick as steam coming off of boiling water or, or life is so elusive that you can't even grab it like steam. Nonetheless, he says it's fleeting. It will end soon. What will you do with your life? What will I do with my, oh, there's nothing wrong with school, and maybe you're, you're working through those avenues to change the world. There's nothing wrong with careers, goodness. Maybe you're, maybe you're doing something through those avenues, but when it comes down to it, living in the shadow of eternity, when it comes down to it, and you look back, what will have really mattered? 
I am not a big movie buff. We're going to the Bible in just a minute, okay? But I, I watched Doctor Strange. I just needed a detox. <laughs> um, if you've seen Doctor Strange, there's all kinds of strange stuff in that movie. But there's all kinds of truth woven into that movie and all kinds of cryptic things about eternity and, and power and all of this weird stuff. But here is one of the lines given to Doctor Strange who was so woven into his own life and his selfishness. And kind of this teacher is talking to him, and she goes like this, we have one life. Death is what gives life meaning. You see, when you understand how short life is, it begins to define true meaning. It's amazing. And if life is this short, how will we spend it? Will it count? We have such a capacity for goodness as human beings. Three, have I convinced you yet? Maybe you believe Christianity. Maybe you're saved. Maybe you believe in the doctrines of Christianity, but it's still empty. It's still flat. Well, guys, it's only when beliefs become practices that we awaken the awe of God. You see, you can believe all, everything about Christianity. You can be as orthodox as anybody. You can believe all the, the, the orthodox doctrines of the Christian faith. You can believe in the Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit and Jesus is the Son of God and, and God is sovereign and providential and almighty and all of these other weird words. But until your beliefs actually move into practice, you won't experience God at the level he wants to be experienced. There's something about belief and, and practice. What are we doing with our Christianity? So all of this can be captured through being a part of a church in the city, for the city, doing good to the city, working, woven into God's story, his story of renewing a city. God wants to renew San Francisco. He wants to save people and turn them around and use them to better the city. And he's doing it all over the world. And, and when we see ourselves within that story of renewal, God's story, we see ourselves as characters in this eternal play. Life has meaning. And so here's what I want to do. I want to go back to where it all began, Acts 2. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, and we're going to see the first church in a city. And we're going to figure out what it looks like to be a church for the city and actually be the healing hands of Jesus in the city. Go to the book of Acts. You can grab a pew Bible in front of you. And here's the question I'm going to answer with three points, three quick points this morning. How does God work through you and I to reach this city? And if we weave ourselves into that story of gospel renewal and changing this city, you will find purpose, power, and joy like you've never experienced. Here we go. Let's establish a few things. Three things real quick on how God uses us, works through us, to reach this city. Number one, write these down quickly. When we get the LED, I'll put them back up. By the way, the LED's here. Not here, here. It's downstairs in the west wing. You can go down there and pet it. <laughs> Couple weeks till we get that animal up. Uh, so for now, just jot these down. Pray through these things. Ask the Holy Spirit to move you into these things. How does God want to use you? And, and by the way, it does I. I'm literally serious when I say this. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care if you just got out of prison or you're a lawyer or you're successful or you're a gangbanger. God wants to use you. I mean, that's just the story of Jesus. 
So how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, if God wants to reach San Francisco, and I mean he wants to reach this city, he wants to reveal himself and turn this thing around and transform it, number one, God always creates a church to reach the city. I'm not against these parachurch uh, programs and so forth. I mean, do good, my soul. But God always creates a church to reach the city. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to pick up an Acts 2, and we're going to find that out. Here's the scene. Jesus has been crucified when we pick up an Acts 2. Jesus has been crucified. He's rose from the dead. He's ascended back to heaven. He has made everything right so a human being can have a, a new relationship with God and be saved by accepting him as their Savior and what he did on the cross and shedding his blood and dying for our sins. And you got a group of people, a large group in a large upper room. They're Jesus followers. They're confused. They're have-nots. They're mixed up. They're full of mistakes. They have past. They're struggling to figure out what it even looks like to follow Jesus. There's no church in existence at this point. They're hiding in an upper room. They're praying. And to fulfill prophecy, the Holy Spirit is let down with absolute power on the church, the first church. They have no clue they're even a church. They're hiding in an attic. And all of a sudden, they start realizing the Holy Spirit is falling fresh on us. And they start speaking in different languages. It would be like, you know, um, here we are, we're praying and we're freaking out and, oh, God, help us. And all of a sudden, we, we see this, this amazing vision and, and we know the Holy Spirit is falling on us. And all of a sudden, we start speaking all the languages of the world. And we're kind of looking at each other like, what is going on right now? And so there's like a, fest, a festival going on. All the Jewish people from all over Africa, have traveled to our city, Jerusalem, to celebrate this festival, and they speak all kinds of different languages. And so we walk downstairs from this upper room, and we go out into the streets, and the light is bright, and the sun is high in Jerusalem, and we're walking through our city, and we see thousands of people. We know they're dressed different. They look different. They're speaking different languages, and we begin to tell them about Jesus. We begin to speak the gospel to them. But what's really weird is they understand us in their own language. The Holy Spirit's doing this amazing thing, and they hear the gospel perfectly and clearly, and 3,000 of them get saved. And do you believe something like that could happen today? 3,000 people come to Jesus Christ. And here's the awesome part. Like these early church leaders like Peter and, and James, you know, they have this great revival that breaks out. And they have 3,000 new baby Christians. And the baby Christians all look at Peter and, and them and they go, what do we do now? And Peter's like, I have no idea. I'm going to talk to James. I'll be right back. You 3,000 stay right there. Because Jesus has not explained anything. He hasn't explained about the church yet. So pick it up in Acts 2.36. So Peter's preaching this sermon. 3,000 are about to accept Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. And he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the one who's come to die for our sins so we can come back to God and have a relationship with God. The text doesn't say this. I'm filling this in. This Jesus whom you crucified, you rejected him, you put him on the cross, but that's not the end of the story. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
And if you're here this morning and you're feeling cut to the heart, you feel that beautiful conviction set in that maybe this Jesus is real. And all of a sudden they start saying to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do then? We believe in him. Save us, Jesus. We want to follow you. We're tired of the old life. Peter, what do we do now? And Peter said to them, repent, turn from your old life, follow Jesus, learn his ways, and be baptized. Show that you are a new person, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus will come upon you, and he will give you a new heart, new desires, new affections, a new community of people just like you to grow together in the ways of God. And with many other words, verse 40, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves, Bethel. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. You don't have to follow the ways of the culture. And not all culture is wrong. But you don't have to follow the values of the culture anymore. Save yourself from that. It hurts you enough. It hurt me enough. Come in here and learn the ways of God and find healing. And we'll become a new culture within the culture. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Your church goes from 70 to 3,000 in two minutes. Yeah, that's a beautiful mess. And here's what happened. This is what I mean. So God wants to reach the city of Jerusalem. So what does he do? He saves people in Jerusalem, and he creates a church. And now that church is going to be this new community of people who are gathered around the ways of Jesus and learning the ways of Jesus. And then they're going to go out into the city, and they're going to spread the love of Jesus and the message of the gospel, that you too can be saved and find new life and have a new community and a new family with the church of Jesus Christ. City, church, right in the middle. God wants to reach San Francisco. God births years and years ago Bethel Christian Church. It's the same mission. It's so beautiful to see that the Holy Spirit came in. He took the message of Jesus and the cross. He pushed it down to the core of their souls until their hearts were cut with joy and they received Jesus as their Savior. And now God has a church in the city of Jerusalem. And the big question is, okay, church, now what do you do? Do you hide from the city? Do you become like the city? Bethel, what do we do now? We're a church in the city. Number two. God called, and this is so critical, you guys. This is so critical. You must get this. God calls the church to experience his power before it ever impacts the city. If we've got nothing to give out because we're taking nothing in, we will not impact that city. But if our cup is overflowing with joy from worship, we're going to leave here with the greatest treasure to give away. That's why Sundays are a big deal, guys. Before something happens in the city, the city of Jerusalem and San Francisco, something has to happen in the church in every one of our hearts. We need the Holy Spirit to make Jesus real. Not just the name, not just the doctrine. We need the Holy Spirit to make Jesus real. 
We need a communal experience of gathering here on the Lord's Day and through music and prayer and fellowship and joy and belief and faith and casting away negativity and and disruptive things and not quenching the Holy Spirit, but coming here with anticipation and prayer. We need the Holy Spirit to make Jesus Christ so real, he's more real than anything real. He's blowing us away. We're being touched in our hearts like nothing else is touching us. I don't cry about anything, but something happens when Jesus hits me. We need this so bad. And before we ever even worry about the city, something's got to happen right in this building every week. That's an amen moment, guys. Now listen to me very carefully. To the degree Jesus Christ is real to you, to the degree that you are being blown away by Jesus, to that degree you will want others to know Jesus. I mean, if Jesus is just, you know, ah, yeah, you know, I've been going to church for a good while and I'm kind of doing my thing and all that, why would you give him away if he's not incredible? You know what I'm saying? The more incredible he becomes, the more we want to give him away, the more bold we are. We're still a little embarrassed, and we're still, he's still a little flat, and we're really not getting a whole lot out of him, and we're just kind of coming here because we've always come here, whatever it may be. He's, he's got to explode in our hearts. Look at Acts 2.42. What are you going to do now? 3,000 of you are saved. What are you going to do now? You're, gonna, you're going to now gather until the Holy Spirit blows your mind. Verse 42, and they devoted, underline the word, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Teach us about Jesus. Teach us about grace. Teach us about his unending love. Teach us about his unending mercy until we're overloaded and we have to pray for it to stop. It's blowing us away. Teach us his ways. Teach us how to love like Jesus loved Teach us how to pray like Jesus prayed. Teach us about heaven. Teach us about the new earth. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And that's not, you know, stale cookies and and watered-down punch in the basement. Not that we have that here. We have good coffee and good stuff. And we don't really have a basement. We have a great fellowship hall. But nonetheless... The word fellowship is real communion. It's hearts being knit together. They were devoted to coming together. Not out of ritual or anything else, but out of love. To the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. That's that right there. That's the table. They wouldn't miss that for the world. They gathered around this thing, and they they ate the bread and drank the cup together, and the Holy Spirit did stuff in their hearts as they remembered what Jesus did for them and forgiving them of their sins. They were addicted to it. They were consumed. And the prayers, the prayers, the communal prayers of the church body coming together, they wanted to pray. What happens? Verse 43. If you want to experience verse 43, you have to go through verse 42. What happens? And awe. That's what we need. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They were having deep experiences with God. And all who believed were together. There it is again. And had all things in common. So those who moved or who were traveling from other parts of Africa to come to Jerusalem for this festival, they didn't want to go home. They didn't want to go home. 
I mean, we have, to, we have to push some of you out of the building after church. That's a great thing. They didn't want to go back to their countries. They wanted to stay and learn more of Jesus. They were having experiences. And because those guys were far away from home, those believers who were in Jerusalem, they were, they were supporting the others who were from other countries. They were giving them money. They wanted to worship that bad. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Oh, you don't want to go? You don't want to go back to South Africa? You want to stay in Jerusalem and learn more about Jesus and worship with us? Then, man, we'll feed you. That's a life-changing church right there. And day by day, attending the temple. They, They were gathering daily. Gathering at the temple, there it is again, together, 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 and breaking bread in their homes. So they, they had small groups. They believed in small groups. They were taking communion in those small groups and homes, and they were singing, and they were worshiping. They were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. When they gathered, they gathered with glad and generous hearts. They came in with a heart open to God, not complaining, not aggravated, but God, we want you. We're here for you. Pour your spirit out, devoted, together. And people who have the new life, new life in Jesus, they don't come together as a response to tradition or guilt or anything else. They wanted to gather because they loved their Lord. They loved each other. What kind of God is this who commands you to be full of joy? Uh, he's not pressing us. He's not threatening us. He's not telling us, do and I'll bless you. He says, Jesus did. I'm blessing you. Enjoy me until you, you can hardly contain it anymore and then go out. And I'm speaking to myself here when I say you will only share something that you deeply enjoy. And you won't share Christ until you deeply enjoy Christ. When we gather, man, just pray before you get here. Come early. Don't come late. I know it's San Francisco. That's a low blow. But just come here with a heart that says, God, I'm so hungry for you. I want to know about the love of Jesus. I want to know about your grace on me afresh. I want to be blown away by the gospel. I want to be blown away by the cross. Knit our hearts. C.S. Lewis said these words. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise completes the enjoyment. In other words, you may not be experiencing Jesus at the level you need to because you're not enjoying him enough. That's an awesome Savior. God wants to reach a city, so he plants a church. But before we even worry about the city, God calls the church to experience his love and power until we're ready to burst and overflow and now we're ready to give Christ away in that city. So number three, real quick. You guys with me? I'm excited about this church. Can you tell? Here we go, number three. Once the church is full of God, and mind you, you're gonna have your bad weeks. I'm gonna have my bad weeks. You're going to go flat on God. You're going to struggle with that joy with God. That's okay. God understands. That's a part of the human experiment. It's a part of being truly human. 
We're robed in flesh. When we come here, that's when the Holy Spirit reignites us. So once we are full of God through worship as a community together, and it's not just Sundays, it's Wednesdays, it's small groups, it's as much as we can. Once the church is full of God, once our hearts are blown away, then we can reach the city, number three. And here's what I love about worship. God eventually changes the way people work, the way people live, and the way people relate to the world when they are deeply worshiping him. You, you are going to be changed, and it's going to change your relationship with that city. Even if you don't live in the city, wherever your avenues take you. Look at Acts 2.47. Acts 2.36, down to 41. They get saved. Now they're a church in the city. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 46, they come in as a church and they worship hard with joy until they're blown away. Now watch what happens in 47. They're released into the city, praising God, praising God, constantly praising God in the assembly, having favor with all the people. That's not the people in the church. We're always talking about, you know, if we're doing this thing right, the church should try to kill us. I'm sorry, the city should try to kill us. Let's not have the church kill us. But, but be careful there. I understand that's happening in parts of the world. And I, I understand that the scripture speaks to that. But look at what happened to this church. They were praising God. They were so full of Christ and joy and learning how to treat one another and learning how to love and learning how to forgive and, and learning how to not hold tightly to the things of the world, but give them away to the poor in the city. They were praising God and they were doing such a work once they left and went back into the city, city that they had favor with all the people in the city. Like the lost, the, the unchristian, and if you're, and you're not a Christian, check this out. This is fantastic. Those who weren't Christians were like, man, I'm glad the Christians are in our city. They're making this place better. You see how it's working? And what happened? And the Lord added to their number. Day by day by day by day, as the church was filling up through worship and blown away in the love of God, they were taking it out into the city, and they were loving people. They were helping people. They were, they were getting involved in acts of justice and kindness. They were there for the homeless. They were speaking to the wealthy about a new way of life. Day by day, people were coming to Christ. Day by day, people were being saved. This joy in Jesus through worship led to power and evangelism. Man, that's what I'm talking about. They had such a beauty about them that people got saved because they wanted to know what was going on. Wouldn't that be cool? Like people are like, okay, that's not a government building. That's not a Jewish synagogue. That's a church. Why do I know that? Because I see all these Bethelites everywhere, and they're happy, and they're glad, and they're joyous. And when they're suffering, they have a grin on their face because they know something, and they keep helping me. They keep loving me. And I got to go see what's going on in that place. It's going to freak me out, but I'm going to slip into that place. And they hear about why it's the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of the tension in our country. I have not been on Facebook in four weeks, and it's been the happiest four weeks of my life. There's so much tension in this country. I am not against protesting. Anyone can protest. It's your right. I think sometimes it's needed. It awakens media, which, which, which perpetuates a message. I understand. 
but anybody can protest. But who will make a difference person by person? When the protests stop and everybody goes back home and goes to their job, who's still going to find a human and love them and care for them? That's us. That's our call. We think of the refugees and we think of all the, the crazy things going on right now. But guys, get a vision. If our government fears and excludes refugees, then the church will go to them. It's called missions, right? Then we'll go out. Then we'll do our best. We'll create a community of love and protection and give them a new way. If the, church, if the, if the government's going to exclude the poor... If gentrification is hurting, then let the church go out. If racism is at another high, if it's exploding once again, then let the church be the healing hands. If there are too many orphans and not enough open-hearted parents who can take them on, then let the, let the church love the orphans. If there are people who are lonely, we had a family member call us and say, my friend just killed himself then let the church go love them. You think of the early church in the first century. The early church was not a threat to the Roman government. The only reason they were a threat to the Roman government is because they were taking care of all the people the Roman government wasn't taking care of and everyone was getting saved. The church went about caring for people. Emperor Julian in the 300 said these words, speaking of the Christian church in the Roman Empire, these Galileans, these Christians, he was, he, was, he was aggravated, he was sickened. He says, these Galileans, these Christians feed not only their own poor, but ours as well. I want to be a church for the city. I want to be a church who worships beautifully and then takes that love out into that city and makes a difference I believe with my life in this church, we can make a dent in this city. So what does that look like come Monday? What does that look like come Tuesday? What does it look like when we're tired and it's mundane again and we're working our jobs? What does it look like to become a church for our city? Let me get real practical. We'll shut this down. Let me, let me, let me call it the now or the already and the not yet. Now, here's what you can do. You see, I like this. I, I want this. I want this purpose. I want to serve Jesus in this way. I don't just want to come to church. I want to be, be overflowing with joy when I come to church. And then I want to make a difference. So, so tell me now what I can do. Well, just a couple, a couple of things. I have written down here T, uh, 2TA. That's what my wife calls second time around now. 2TA. But we have second time around. I, I put a plug in last week. We have a second hand store that makes a lot of money and the more we can keep that thing open the more we can take that money and take it back out into the city and be a part of a gospel renewing movement to heal people's hearts and their brokenness be involved with that sign up with that we have a homeless ministry Tuesdays it's fantastic pray fast for power Here's a couple things I want to start, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting in some, some plugs right now. I want you to begin to pray about this. I want you to approach me about this. I want to start neighborhood prayer. Yeah. Man, I don't know, Sunday morning? Like, think about this. What if we had teams of people, like, walking around the mission, 
walking through knowing and praying for, for these neighborhoods. Like, God, bring them. Open their hearts. Now, forget just coming to church. Let's come to church. I've got several of you still asking, can we do a prayer ministry while you're preaching? Yes, please. If you want to be a part of any of that, if you want to help me launch any of that, I need you to come see me. We have the opportunity, again, I I talked about this a little bit last week. We have an opportunity to start a food bank in our church for the Mission District. I just talked to the elders about this. They love it. They're supporting it. We're working through some things. But we're going to have a meeting, a brainstorming meeting, February 26th. That's a Sunday after church. And we are going to be able to take a gentrified area and take poor people in this area who don't look like me, who may not understand me, there's racial tension, there's frustration, and we're going to be able to say, we are different, we are Christians, and we want to help bless you and take care. You come in here, and we're going to give you the food that you don't have. We need a team of eight. We need a team of eight. We already got three, maybe four. February 26th. Sunday after church, we're going to meet, we're going to pray, we're going to brainstorm, and then I'm going to bring that back to the elders for approval. But I would like to have 15 or 20. Man, you want to be a part of any of that, neighborhood prayer, Sunday service prayer, a part of a movement like a food bank to bring people, broken people in, in from the mission and give them the gospel and bless their lives with food. February 26th, be there, guys, be there. And you say, how about, how, about, how about something a little more personal? Well, well, this is raw. I want the spirit to move. So here's the not yet. Let me challenge you to do something. Grab a pen. Get ready to write a few words down here. Because I want to start new things. I want to start fresh things. I want to start powerful things. And as you're in that city, God wants to look through your eyes. God, God wants to speak through your ears. He wants you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And you're seeing things. The Holy Spirit is taking you places and you're seeing things. As you go about on your own, write these words down. Look, listen, bring back, organize, fund, and we'll go. As you go out, guys, as you go to work or you're retired or you don't even live in the city, as you go out on your own, I want you to look. Keep your eyes open. Where are the, where are the, where, where are the narratives of pain, anger, frustration? Look. Listen to people's stories. God's speaking to you. Look. Listen. Bring it back to me. Why? Because 250 people can do something a whole lot more powerful than one. Let's do something as a church. Look, listen, bring back. We'll organize it. I'll meet with you. We'll organize it. We'll fund it, and we will go. And when I say look, where are the places that need reconciliation? Where are the racial divides, the poverty and the rich? Where, where are the places that need reconciliation? Where are the least of these? Where are the hurting children? 
Where is broken education? Where is gentrification? Where is injustice happening? Those are the places God wants to send us. I hope to have a dozen meetings in the next two weeks with you guys. I want to empower you to develop ministry and do it as a team, as a church. This is what it looks like to be a church for the city. And I want to say this in gentleness. I say it to myself as well. It isn't about you. The really wonderful moments are not the moments of self-satisfaction, but self-forgetful service to the Lord. You have a choice this morning. I have a choice. You can return to your own life, or you can serve something greater than yourself. Be a part of this thing. Let's pray.